0: We're going to be finding out what a post-lockdown trouser disaster has to do with the five key tools. Rachel answers a question from a listener who's fascinated by the idea of taking Jesus out for dinner and a movie. And I interview my friend Kirsty about teens and prayer. And of course, we'll end with a question to start an interesting conversation. The seasons have definitely changed. It's colder out there. And one of the things that happens as summer turns into autumn in this house is we get out our winter clothes. So every spring, like when we think summer's arriving, we pack away the woolly jumpers and we uh, stuff everything wintry into a suitcase and hide it away. And then we wear our summer clothes. And as summer becomes autumn, we switch around again. So the other week I decided it was finally time to get out the, the winter clothes. I'd accepted that summer was no more. And so I went and got the suitcase and I got them out. And it was just like this this moment of, oh, I think in Denmark it's hugger. I thought, oh yes, I embrace my woolly jumpers and there are my favourite boots. And I, I felt I could make this transition into winter comfortably. Now I had my clothes and I pulled out my favourite pair of winter trousers, which are so comfy and warm. And I was just like, kind of like, yeah, I can do this winter thing. So the next day I got up, it was a little bit chilly. I thought I'll put on my winter trousers. And there was that lockdown phenomenon. Basically, my trousers no longer fitted and I was gutted. Well, they kind of fitted, but only if I sucked in and squeezed and I could wear them, but they were really, really uncomfortable. And I don't know how many of you have had that experience recently, but I was a bit gutted. These are my favourite trousers and they just don't fit. And as I've got older, of course, I have really learned the value of comfy trousers. Now, I was a teenager in the 80s and we wore really skinny drainpipe jeans. They were all the rage. I don't know whether any of you can remember that far back, but I'm not kidding. We did do that thing. I did it. Where you bought the jeans, you went home, you sat in a bath of water in order to shrink the jeans so they fitted you like a second skin. And they did. But they were incredibly hard to wear. So just before I went off to college, me and my friend Sue, we went shopping in a boutique shop in our local town to buy jeans to wear at college. So they were really, really, really tight, but we wanted them anyway. So there we are. And we had these, this uh, very fashionable boutique had these like changing rooms with saloon doors, you know, the ones where they only cover the middle. And I went into one um, little cubicle with whatever I was trying on and Sue went to the other with these amazing jeans. And I came out a few minutes later, having tried on whatever I was trying on, to find that I could see from underneath the saloon door of Sue's cubicle her legs were sticking out. And it soon became clear that she was lying on the floor in order to be able to suck in enough to do these jeans up. And she even had, and I kid you not, an assistant helping her do these jeans up. And eventually they. The zip done up, they tightened the button and she staggered up, triumphant, and bought the jeans, even though they must have been the most uncomfortable things ever. I had a pair that weren't quite that tight, but I remember wearing them my first day of college and I felt like I looked a million dollars, but truly I couldn't wait to get these jeans off. Faced with two tight trousers, I just don't want to wear them. And when I look back at my early days of Christian parenting, it often felt like I was wearing trousers that didn't fit very well, because what I was doing was I was trying all sorts of things that I'd seen or I'd done myself or I'd heard about all these things like I'll try doing that. That'll help me parent my child well for faith. That'll help me spiritually raise my child. So as a kid, I'd love Bible notes. So I got Bible notes. But truth is my daughter really didn't take to them. So Bible notes were discarded. Another family at church did this really cool breakfast devotion thing where they would all sit around like considering a verse of the Bible and chatting around it. And I thought that sounds like something we could do, but it failed absolutely miserably in our in our crazy breakfast schedule. And then I read this book and this was the, the point of it which I realised I was probably never going to be a great spiritual parent. And this book advocated getting up at five o'clock every morning and praying for an hour for your child every day. And I thought this I can do. And of course, I lasted 10 minutes and fell asleep again. I tried all these things that just didn't fit me or my daughter very well. Back to my winter trousers. Now, if I'm ever going to wear those again, two things, one of two things needs to happen. One, I need to lose a fair amount of weight, which probably won't happen. Or I need to muster all my sewing tools and skills and basically take them out a little bit so they do fit. And that's the thing about Parenting for Faith. We don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. These are things which will help you raise your your child spiritually. We want to give you tools and skills to help you adapt and fit the things you're discovering, the things you're finding to fit you and your family exactly. Because every family, every kid is unique and there's never a one size fits all approach with parenting for faith. We want to give you tools and skills just so uh, I might be able to adapt my trousers to fit me perfectly. You can adapt those things you're seeing around you to adapt your family, to adapt to your family perfectly so they can learn to connect with and grow in God in a way that works for them. So at the heart of parenting of faith, we have something called the five key tools. And really what we're saying is if you can get to grips with these tools and see how they work and start to apply them in your family, you are so going to be on your journey of, of helping your kids grow a connected relationship with God. I don't know what you're like at DIY, but I'm not great with tools. And the idea of having to master a tool actually fills me with dread. I'm so bad at DIY that I see there's actually a hole at the top of the stairs on the wall where I drilled right through a wall when I was putting a shelf up, but we'll pass that one by and hope that the people who buy a house after us never notice. But the really great thing about these five key tools of parenting for faith, which you may have come across or they may be new to you, is actually none of them, require you to master a new skill because you have those skills already in your daily parenting. You're already experts in these tools. We just want to help you see how to use them when you are teaching your kids about life with God. So really quickly, the first key tool is something we call creating windows, because kids learn by watching you and copying So your little kid in the back of the car in their car seat will be brum-brumming and changing gear and squealing on brakes, not because you've ever taught them to do it, but because they've watched you do it. And our kids do that all through their lives. You might find your kid uses the same phrases as you or they pick up your habits or they develop the same passion as you because they've seen how you do life and they're, they're kind of beginning to evaluate it. Oh, that looks good. I could try that. So creating windows is just applying that skill, that tool to showing your kid little glimpses of how you do life with God, how you read the Bible and the impact it has on you, um, how you think about creation, how your relationship with God affects your choices by deliberately letting your child see little glimpses, little windows of those things. They begin to see what a life with God is like and begin to work out how to do their own. The second key tool is one you will be incredibly familiar with. It's called framing or explaining. Why, mummy? That's all we hear when they're tiny, isn't it? Why this? Why that? And we spend most of our time, it seems, explaining to our kids of whatever age how life works so they can learn to do it well. How to cross the road safely. How to revise. How to deal with other people. What to do if there's a fire. We teach them all these things we explain to them and, and you know, that's what framing is. We simply explain to them what life with God is like. And often that's by answering questions or exploring ideas through the Bible, explaining where and when we see God. That skill you've already got of helping your kids understand the world and how it functions is one that you can quickly and easily apply to how we do life with God. The third key tool is called unwinding. You've already got this skill as well. Parents and carers are experts when it comes to helping our kids when they misunderstand things. We are constantly refining and correcting and broadening their view of the world, of their relationships, of friends, by giving them different points of views, showing them a different way of thinking about something. You know, a kid may get really stressed. Are we going to get a tsunami in, in this country? I'm like, no, in the middle of Wiltshire, tsunamis can't happen here. You're quite safe from a tsunami. Or they might be in a grunt with a friend and you get to explain that actually this is something else I see in Jamie that might help you understand him better. And kids get muddled about God as well. They may pick up funny ideas about him from their own reading of the Bible or from something somebody said. And God's not always that easy to understand. And one of our joys as parents and carers is to help them unwind the wrong views, the muddled views they get of God, and to give a really big, broad and balanced view of him so they can understand him better. The fourth key tool, chat and catch. We also spend a lot of time as parents helping our kids know how to have good relationships with people. Friendship issues is something that, was big in our house for a very long time. How do we navigate relationships so we build good, connected relationships with other people? And that's what chat and catch is. Um, we do that. We help our kid build a connected relationship with God, connecting with him easily and naturally, just as, just as naturally as your kid will chat to you as you walk down the road to McDonald's or as you have a heart-to-heart late at night with your teen. We want them to connect with God and chat to him easily and naturally as well as catch his words back. That's all chat and catch is, you already help them build good, strong, connected relationships and you just extend that to how we build a good, strong, connected relationship with God. And the fifth key tool is something we call surfing the waves. You are already an expert in that because every time... You support your kid on the touchline when they're playing rugby or you buy them the latest game for their PlayStation or you take them to that musical they're dying to see or their drama class. You are supporting them in the passions and interests they have that are growing in them. And, you know, parents go the extra mile to get their kids to a, a class or to make sure they get to go on that demonstration. They want to go on anything they want to do. We want to support our kids in the stuff that's growing in them. And surfing the waves is simply doing that for the passions and interests that God is growing in them, the passions and interests he might be growing in them for use in his kingdom. And some of them will be obvious, maybe like a love of worship and how we can support them as they maybe want to learn the guitar or join the music group at church. Some things may not be so obvious if they're incredibly hospitable. And you might sense that there's some some skill, a gift that God's growing in them. When we spot the gifts and passions and interests and skills that God's growing in them, then we can get on board, surf the waves with them as they do that. A skill you've already got that you just transfer to their spiritual life. And that's it in a nutshell, really. I just want to encourage you that when we talk about the five key tools, they're not new things for you to learn. They're skills you've already got because you're a parent or a carer. And you can use these as you spiritually parent your kids so if you head to our website if you want to know more just just look down the menu for the five key tools and you can do this you're already doing it and you can tailor make your um the way you spiritually parent your kid to fit them and you exactly now i'm off to find my sewing stuff to see what i can do about those trousers
1: This is Rachel Turner, and this is the question and answers section of our podcast. And uh, we had a question come in to our inbox. If you want to send us a question, we'd love to hear from you. It can be about anything under the sun. And uh, usually it's about parenting for faith. But hey, you can ask any question. We'll have a go. And uh, this uh, question was from Shelley, and it makes me really happy. And so I'm going to answer this question. It's this. It's about me, I guess. It says, I am starting an online parenting for faith course this evening. Whoop, whoop. And the whoop, whoop was me, not her. And love the material. Thank you. I can't remember which session it is, but in one of the videos, you talk about going for a meal and to the cinema with God. This has so intrigued me, so I'm sure it will others. What is this? (laughs) What do you do? How does it work? What does it look like? Thanks, Shelley. Well, Shelley, thanks. I appreciate you sending in the question. Yes, it is true. In the Parenting for Faith course, I do talk about how I uh, go to dinner and the, a movie with God. Uh, I can't. I don't even know which episode it is in either. I think it might be in the chat one. Uh, yeah, it's a pattern I started when I was a teenager, actually, because I found uh, the concept of praying quite... Uh, pressure-y when I was a teenager, uh, because, you know, the, the godly, godly people in my church were, you know, praying. And 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 uh, yeah, I grew up in America, so I've lived in this country for 18 years now, uh, but I was born and raised in America, and they had prayer closets, and you had these prayer warriors, and there were these, these amazing people who really would just intercede. And I always felt really inadequate about my prayer life, because I just, like, I don't know. And I I began to feel like I wanted to share life with God. I wanted to find my own pattern of life with God because I, after trying many different ways of trying to do it the right way, I just thought, well, I'm just gonna have to do it my way. So uh, my pattern of just chatting to God Really, I remember starting when I was a kid and doing it, uh, but really, when I, as a teenager, chose to like embrace it and be like, no, this is my way of doing it, was uh, when I was driving in America, <laughs> they let 16 year olds drive. And so uh, I got my driver's license. And so I used to buckle myself in, and then I would, <laughs> I literally would do this, folks. I would buckle the seat belt of the seat next to me, the passenger seat, as a reminder that God is with me because. I don't know. In California you drive a lot and so uh it was like my time with God. So I'd get in the car and I'd I'd buckle him in as like a God is now with me. And then I would just talk to him out loud. Uh because if I was in my head then I would end up just thinking about stuff. So I thought okay, I'm just going to do it when nobody can see me out loud in the car and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed just being like okay, that was craziness. Did you just see that? Like, I cannot believe that he just said that to me. And I would talk to him as if he was my friend. And because I was in the car, it it felt safe and natural and I was going someplace. And so I, I began this pattern of of talking to God in the car. And so I would have a really bad night at the theater. I'd have a really bad uh, time at school and I'd get in the car and I would just chat, 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 chat to him. And uh, I realized you can't do that out loud, but I, I discovered that that out loud pattern of just wanting to share, and it really grew my desire to talk to him about stuff. And I I began to realize that one of the reasons, one of the things that made me feel heavy about prayer was that it always had to be about something important, which is why I started chatting to God about, I don't know, anything that hit my brain while I was in the car. Um, but as I got older and life sort of gets more complicated, you know, you get married, you have kids it's really hard to get that alone time with God where you feel comfortable chatting. And by this time, I, I began to be better at chatting in my head sort of through my days. But it was these little snippets of of moments. You know, if you're ever trying to do a relationship around family, you know, you get these half seconds, you know, in the kitchen or over feeding your kid or something. And it just, you know, when you're trying to even maintain a, a a relationship with a friend or a partner when you're trying to do busy life it was always these little snippets and i thought when i want to really catch up with somebody i go do something with them something fun something that's enjoyable and something that facilitates conversation and so uh, going out to eat at that time we didn't have a lot of money so going out to eat was like a massive treat but we couldn't really afford it and so i thought oh, what a great way of saving money and getting time with god so i would go out to eat And I would, you know, go on a time where it was cheap and and get the cheapest, you know, lunch meal or something and, and, you know, get a cheap cinema ticket during the day. And, uh, and I would just go out. And so I would literally sit there at the table. And uh, I didn't even feel, I didn't talk out loud. I did talk in my head. But, you know, you see people sitting alone and looking quite content. And I would just chat to him like I would in the car. Um, I wouldn't move my hands or anything, but I was just chatting. But it was just like this time to do that. So I'd just be happily eating my food uh, and chatting. Sometimes I'd have a book if I wanted to talk to God while reading a book. Uh, But I would just be like talk through my day and talk through what was stressing me out and talk through what I was enjoying. And then I wanted to do the cinema because I wanted to do something fun with God rather than just talk at him. So we would go sit at the cinema and he would sit next to me uh, in my head. He would sit next to me and uh, and we would I would chat to him in my head through the movie. So it'd be like, oh, I'm really excited. This is I've been looking forward to this one. And this is hilarious. I'm so glad you invented that. And oops, sexy. Close your eyes. (laughs) no i would just find my joy with god and i would i would experience something with him it was my way of experiencing something with him and through those disciplines of creating space to just catch up and through going and doing something with god it taught me how to do life with god With my kid, how to do life with God in the middle of stressful work, how to do life with God and laugh with Him and watch TV with Him, and that sort of discipline of of training myself to enjoy doing life alongside God and finding joy and laughter and jokes and companionship with him and sharing what's on my heart. So that's what I do. Uh, sometimes it's what I still do now. Sometimes I just go for walks with God, but I, I enjoy doing things with him as a companion and as someone I can laugh with and cry with and process with. And sometimes in the movie, I would just cry for a half hour (laughs) in a comedy because I just needed to do that in the safety of someplace dark with him. And that was it. So that's where it came from. Uh, I, it looks like nothing to anybody else, but to me, it's everything. So yeah. So I'm here
0: with Kirsty Wilmot, who is a great friend of mine, but she's not just here because she's a great friend of mine. One of the things that I think uh, sometimes we get asked about at Parenting's Faith is about teenagers and prayer. And Kirsty has been a youth leader for approximately 35 years. 35 years. She has done a lot of praying with teenagers. And my daughter was one of her teenagers once. And um, I've been fascinated by watching how her prayer journey has influenced the way she worked with teens. So I thought it might be really interesting today to have a quick chat with Kirsty and just ask her for wisdom about teens and prayer. So Kirsty, can you tell us about kind of your journey of youth work and prayer just a little bit? Absolutely. Um,
2: When I first, I was 22 when I first took on a youth group and we, you know, every time we did a session on prayer and it was fairly conventional. Um, God is in heaven and we sat down here and hopefully we'd hear from him. Um, And it was only when my own prayer life changed dramatically and I realised that God was trying to contact talk to me um, all the time and uh, that I that my own that so my own journey changed and therefore my um, the way I taught prayer for teenagers also changed because we began to experiment we began to um, we began to listen we began to hang out with God if you like and um, not always successfully but sometimes, um, dramatically and wonderfully. Um, but it's really been, I mean, the last four or five years that I've really seen a change in how that worked and, and the fact that it, it worked much better.
0: So one of the things I remember, because I used to kind of hang around church sometimes when you lead leading the youth group, I was not allowed to to be in the youth group with them, um, was that you you ended up with like, Half an hour or so at the end of the session where the kids were sent off in all directions to pray as they Mm -hmm. wanted. And I remember thinking half an hour is a long time when Mm -hmm. you told me about it. I'm like, "Mm, this sounds like interesting. But I was really fascinated. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened when you introduced that? To begin with, we started with 10 minutes. And the
2: key to this time is that you allow You're basically saying, we've got no calls on your time. We may have uh, dropped a question in, what would you ask God? Ask God his favourite colour. Ask God what he thinks about, um, um, or there's a particular situation that we were really worried about in Sudan. And we'd say, well, go and ask God what he thinks about this. And to begin with, we gave him 10 minutes. And it became patently obvious that 10 minutes wasn't enough. And that gradually, we, we it, these this time just got longer and longer, and it became a really precious time. And parents would come in to the hall and um, to into the church, and there'd be this all these teenagers draped around the church, absolutely dead silence, um, because they were praying, and it was remarkable and incredible. I think it worked because it became their their time with God. Nobody put any boundaries, nobody put any rules in. If um, a young person couldn't sit still, they were they were certainly encouraged to walk around. If somebody wanted to write they could write reams in their book. If somebody wanted to draw pictures and we'd had some absolutely remarkable um answers to prayer and um conversations with God recorded or not recorded because some of these young people simply lay and and were with
0: him. So how did you move them from thinking prayer was a kind of a corporate activity that kind of happened at them to this place where they actually wanted to go and spend time with God? And, and I think maybe some of it had to do with the fact that there was freedom to mm-hmm. to pray however worked for you but it seems a really big shift and it was and and the jumping off place
2: was the mo- is the most important place in the whole world is that if you understand that god loves you and if you were the only person in the world he'd messed up he, he would have still gone to the cross for you that's the jumping off place and and even if some of these young people didn't believe in god their jumping off place was still that something loved them, and therefore, um, going and, and spending time with that God who
0: loved them, um,
2: became a thing. Um, I was as surprised as anybody.
0: So, I'm thinking, um, having been a parent of a teenager, mm-hmm. um, you get this classic thing, don't you, where there's a point at which you're doing prayers as a family or or at bedtime or in the car quite readily and then suddenly with all things teenagerish the shutters seem to go up and um, you're no longer privy to your child's internal kind of thinking processes, which is quite appropriate but you know as a parent you'd love to know that your child had a a prayerful and filled life so what would you say to a parent who's like i have no idea of my kids praying what can i do to help my kid pray uh, what
2: you can do to help them pray is not um, tell them to pray or not or perhaps ask them how they pray. But don't put any um, rules or boundaries. How you pray isn't how they're going to pray. Teenagers are, are, are you know, they'll do whatever the opposite is that you're doing. So, um, but allow them the freedom um, to explore God and the relationship with God in their own way. And so anything goes. Um, you can suggest things, would they find it helpful if, but um, be so laid back about this and so gentle about it. And But be encouraged that, um, uh, that God has got your, your teenager, despite appearances, held so tightly. Mm -hmm. and absolutely loves them and adores them a trillion times more than you ever could Um, and their journey is in his hands but it is a journey and they will not pray like you pray and they will not have an understanding of god that you have but um he's got them um so uh, set them free to find him for themselves in any way whatever way that takes and if it means their prayer corner is painted black and it's got a you know it's got some dodgy posters on the wall or something but if that's their space and there's a bible in there somewhere or whatever you know then be thankful
0: and finally this week's question to start an interesting conversation. What's the best thing God made and why? Have great conversations. Thank you for downloading the Parenting for Faith podcast. A new episode will be released next week And why not look at parentingforfaith.org to watch the free eight-session course, to get in touch, or to find out about training and events near you.